Well, we continue on with Ecclesiastes. Can I invite you to open your Bibles, please, to chapter 11. Thank you, Katie, Karen, worship leaders. I greet you all in the name of the Lord. We're going to look at chapter 11, 7 through chapter 12, verse 8, and I, I think this might be, hopefully, very encouraging, a little bit surprising. Um, let me give you the two sentences that we're going to focus on. May I have slide 7 and slide 8, please? So, chapter 11, 7 through 10, I'm going to use this phrase, rejoice now because something is something. And then chapter 12, 1 through 8, remember that something is for something. I mean, first, next slide, please. So, last word, I'm going to focus on the word rejoice. I'm sorry, back to uh, Numbers 5. Rejoice. Rejoice. The next, the next group, 12, eight, uh, 1 through 8, we're going to use the word remember. So, let's go through the text, please. Chapter 11, beginning at verse 7. This is rejoice. Light is sweet, and it pleases the eyes to see the sun. However many years anyone may live, let them enjoy them all. But let them remember the days of darkness, for there'll be many. Everything to come is hevel. Remember? Unpredictable, uncontrollable, ungovernable, unmanageable. Now he's speaking specifically to people who are younger. You who are younger, be happy while you are young. And let your hearts give you joy in the days of your youth. Follow the ways of your heart and whatever your eyes see. But know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. So then banish anxiety from your heart and cast off all troubles of your body, for youth and vigor are uncontrollable, unpredictable, ungovernable, unmanageable. Rejoice. Now look, at the, look particularly near the bottom, verse 9. He says, you who are young, younger, be happy while you are young, and let your heart give you joy in the days of your youth. Follow the ways of your heart and whatever your eyes see. But know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. So then he says, so then banish the anxiety from your heart and cast off troubles of your body, for youth and vigor are hevel. So what he, what's he talking about? Rejoice. So I'm going to go two directions with you now. Watch. He asks us to rejoice because what is coming is judgment. But judgment's going to surprise you. Do you notice the context? I'm going to hang out with me here now. Real quick, and real quick. For those of us who are in Christ, who, who have said Jesus Christ is our Savior, our Lord, he has covered us with his blood. Our sins are washed away. We've been invited into his family. For those who are in Christ, I've been saying to you, judgment day will be a great day. Because we will be told, welcome home. It's going to be incredible. We'll be welcomed into the kingdom of God. No, the caveat. For those who are not in Christ, that day will scare them to H-E-L-L. Literally. So what is judgment? He's talking to, to those who are younger. Rejoice. Why? Now, follow me. I've been saying this now for weeks. The teacher is saying to us, embrace, enjoy the simple things of life. So he's talked about a great meal, a good glass of wine, a wonderful conversation, 
doing your job, enjoying your job. These simple things. He says, now what? Hang on, no, hang on. I'm going to confuse you, but I'm not. Listen, follow me. What if for those who are in Christ, part of judgment with the Lord saying, well, what did you do with all the great gifts I gave you? What did you do? Did, did, did you, did you receive? So give me a picture. So we're going to have Christmas soon, right? And we're going to go fly to Atlanta, Lord willing, this afternoon to do Christmas with Kyle and Juliet's family from this week for a couple days. We're going to open presents. And I can't wait to little people <laughs> open presents. And you just, you just get to suck, right? You know what I'm talking about? When you give a present to someone you love, you can't wait till you open it. What if in Judgment Day the Lord's going to say, hey, I gave you great meals. I gave you great relationships. I gave you a meaningful job. Did you enjoy the gifts? And all of a sudden, judgment looks way different, doesn't it? It's a loving father. You're saying it, a good, good father. What if he's saying, did you enjoy what I've given you? Now, I don't, I'm a little hesitant to say it, but I think I'm supposed to. I've said this twice before, one more time. I don't know why I have such a sense of urgency about this past, about Ecclesiastes. So with an umbrella of mercy, I don't know if I'm going to die next year. I don't know if Lane's going to die next year. But I have an incredible sense of urgency that I need to say to all of us multiple times, and I've been doing it now for 11 weeks, we want to embrace the fact that we will die. So I am saying to myself, since Kirk died, three years and nine months, Kevin, you will die. And I don't know if I'm going to die soon. But having said that, by embracing my death, I am choosing intentionally to live. I want to enjoy today. I want to be grateful today. I want to flourish in love today. Let me, I have a slide. I can't remember which one it is. Let me look at it. Slide five. This, this has been running through my head all week long. So, Kevin, ask yourself, is my future, is my past shaping my present? Here's what I observe. Umbrella of mercy. Many of us have a past that shapes our present. So imagine you have a car, and you've got a tiny little windshield, and you've got a bargonzo back window. And I observe many of us have this, our lives, it's all about what happened, what happened, what happened. And the past shapes how we live presently. Let me just jump ahead now. I'm going to jump way far ahead. Slide nine. Watch this. Watch this. If my past has shaped me, if we are not delighted in the good and simple daily gifts God gives, we become grumpy. And grumpiness carries more influence than gratitude. And if I'm living in the past, how come this life isn't as good as it was or whatever, whatever? I become grumpy. And then I don't live in the moment. And so instead of seeing Lane, my wife of 42 years, as this incredible gift, she just becomes, well, she's part of the furniture of our house because I've lived with her for 42 years. And I, no, no. Today, 
I'm going to have lunch with Lane. Today, Lord willing, we're going to fly and see our children and grandchildren. Today, I want to celebrate and give thanks for the good gift of Lane today. But if I'm living in the past, I remember things and I, and I don't embrace today. We're going, to, we're, going to, we're going to eat a meal with our grandchildren and children. We want to embrace meals and relationships and conversation and connections, and we'll probably cry together, remembering Kirk, and we'll think about the future because we want to be a people who live in the present, not the past. And so we got to be careful, I think, if we live in the past because we just become grumpy. Can I just push one more time into this? The thing that's so discouraging to me, and I hear people say, remember how America used to be? Remember how our family used to be? Remember how things used to be? Yeah, we can remember the past, but there's a, there's a subtle message underneath here. Watch this. When I keep living in the past and I'm complaining about the present, what I'm really saying is, you don't know what you're doing. If I'm living in the past and how good the past was, then I'm really saying, Lord, you don't know what you're doing. Well, can I just remind you, we've all read the book, and we know what's coming. And what coming is Jesus will return as the king and the Lord. And he's going to establish this new heaven and new earth. He's going to make all things right and good. And we want to live toward that. We want to live into the future instead of, oh, oh, oh. So if we say everything was so bad now, can I just observe? We are grumpy because we've lost gratitude. We still live in the freest country in the world. We have flushing toilets. We have running water. We have electricity. We have grocery stores. We have colleges. We have, we have, we have, we have. Of all the people who have ever lived, about 100 billion people have lived in humankind. We are the richest people who have ever lived in the history of humankind. And why are we so stinking grumpy? Why are we so grumpy? Can I say that? Why are we so grumpy? Can I suggest we have lost the fact that we're going to die? Embrace your death. So you can live your life, live your life now, today. Simple things, simple things. Well, let me give you another slide, slide six. How about this one? Does this throw you at all? Is it a new idea that God calls us to enjoy the simple good gifts he gives? Do you believe that your creator is invested in your happiness? That's why John Calvin, A.W. Tozer, ever said, what we think about God is the single most important thing about us. Because if we have a good, good father, we can believe that today he gives us good gifts. Do we embrace the good gifts of today? So, chapter 11, 8 through the end, 7 through the end, it's about rejoice. But now we're going to go to remember. Go to chapter 12, verse 1. And let me read it. I'm, I'm watching the clock just a little bit. So let me read it and translate it as I go. Just watch this. So he says in verse 11, chapter 11, verse 10, so banish anxiety from your heart, cast off troubles from your body, for youth and vigor are unpredictable, uncontrollable, ungovernable, unmanageable. So then he says in verse 12, chapter 12, verse 1, remember your creator in the days of your youth. When you were younger, remember 
your creator. Now notice, he didn't say God. He used the word creator. Why? I use this phrase throughout the series. All is gift, not gain. Last week I used this phrase. We manage, God makes. So he says, now he's speaking to, to those who are younger, and it's not like this. Okay, you young people, you stupid, dumb, millennials, General Z, Generation Z, you dumb people, you understand. No, he's not saying that at all. No, 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 no. He is a wise person who's saying, let's get some more perspective. So he's trying to help those who are younger how to live. But he does it in such a beautiful way. Now, there's a whole bunch of metaphors here. So let me read it and translate as we go. Chapter 12, 1. Remember your creator in the days of your youth before days of trouble will come and the years approach when you will say, I find no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars grow dark and the clouds return after the rain. Remember your, your creator because things are coming. Now look, look at this is poetry of the top level. Listen to this. Verse 3. When the keepers of the house tremble, translate, arms and hands, and strong men stoop, legs. When the grinders cease because they are few, teeth. And those looking through the windows grow dim, eyes. When the doors to the street are closed, ears, and the sound of grinding fades, when people rise up at the sound of birds, but all their songs grow faint, the voice. When people are afraid of heights and of dangers in the streets, falling down while walking. When the almond tree blossoms, when the hair turns white. And the grasshopper drags itself along, and desire no longer is stirred. The sexual drive is no longer present. Then, people go to their eternal home, and mourners go about the streets. Death comes. So then he says again, 12.1, 12.6. Remember him, your creator, watch the metaphor now, before the silver cord is severed, that's the spine, and the golden bowl is broken, the head, before the pitcher, which is the heart, is shattered at the spring, and the wheel broken at the well, the organs of digestion, and the dust returns to the ground it came from, and the spirit returns to the God who gave it, death. And then he says, hevel, hevel, everything is hevel. He's saying, when you are younger, you remember your creator and remember the good and simple gifts God has given you. Your good, good father gives you. So last week, you got gratitude cards. We've been pushing the invitations to give thanks, to give thanks. Why? Because gratitude beats grumpiness to death. Can I just watch this? Do, do a gut check. How grumpy have I been, say, last week? Ask yourself, how grateful have I been the last week? And oftentimes, what we, what we long for, remember, is, is, is huge things, all kinds of huge things. And we have a God who's invested in our happiness. Now, watch this now. And for every, per listen, one of the things that frustrates, frustrates me about parts of the American church is if the gospel of Jesus Christ preached in a church cannot be translated to every people group in the world, it's heresy. You hear what I just said? So part, a big part of the American church 
has been pushed into what's called the prosperity gospel of all different kinds. And basically it means if you do X and Y and Z, then God's going to do X and Y and Z. It don't work in the third world. You don't have running water, and you don't have a toilet, and you don't have food. You can name and claim anything you want, and it ain't going to happen. Yes? So what's the gospel that God gives to every single person in the world who calls herself or himself part of his family? He gives us food to eat. All the, all the studies about what's happening in the world, there is more food available in the world. I told you last week, a woman in our church who's got no money. She goes from addictions, she is now sober, she has a job, and she invites people to her house on some Sabbath, some Sundays, and all she can afford is peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. And if you get invited to her house, you'll have a peanut butter jelly sandwich and a glass of water. That's what I'm talking about. You sit at a table with her and you have a conversation and she will ask you, so are you sober? How's your life? How are relationships? How's your relationship with Jesus? How are you doing? This applies to the whole world. We can share a simple meal. We can share whatever resources, smoke that we have. We can share those. Those are simple, good gifts. Let me go back to some, some questions about working. We do our job to the best of our ability. The fact that we have a job is a good gift. Yes? We have a job. We can earn some money. We can share it. That's a good and simple. You see, all of a sudden, grumpiness has got to go because we have food to eat. I mean, I, I just, I, when I was in seminary, I had a friend from another country. Well, the true story is he and I were in the Hebrew class and he didn't speak English and he and I were the two guys that almost flunked out of seminary. <laughs> the truth is I failed Hebrew. I got a C minus in seminary, which means I flunked the class. They put me on probation for a year and I paid off the dean and I got out. It's all good. <laughs> but how we had to do translating, we translate the, the, the Hebrew Bible and they put us in, in rows. And so the, the person who had the best test score here, here and we had this, there were 18 of us in class and I was 17 and he was 18. So I'm just dying, waiting, what, where's my passage going to be when I have to translate? Well, he and I became friends. And it was amazing for him, for me to go for lunch with him. He could not believe that he'd go to a bathroom at Fuller Seminary and the toilet flushed. He couldn't believe it. He couldn't believe he could just go to a water fountain and drink water, just push but couldn't get over that. One day he asked me to take him to a grocery store and, and there was just, in Avance, there was just stuff. He said, there is more stuff in this store than in my country. And he was just, he was just stunned by everything we have. But what was so interesting was he valued relationships. Talk to Tim Brand about Haiti. The people who have lost so much so often are the most generous and happy people he knows. So if we know we're going to die, 
Can I just tell you one more time? You and I will die. Embrace it. Okay? I might die next year. I might die tomorrow. I'm going to die. In that, I'm going to intentionally choose to live. A meal with Lane today. Getting off the airplane and watching three grandkids come and just jumble. I'll be looking at them as they run. And I can't wait to just, and I'll just savor looking at the grandkids. And I'll go to my great big son and give him a hug and I'll be swarmed by him. And I'll give him a kiss and just tell him I love him. And I'll see his wife and give her a hug. And I thought, what good gifts. And that allows us to flourish. We flourish in love. We love God. We love our neighbors. We love the world. Can I um, go nine and 10, and then I'm gonna move a different direction. So, so let me segue from rejoice, remember, just remind us about gratitude in the season of Thanksgiving. So these are my opinions, Kevin K at trcpella.com. We are delighted, we are, Christian living collapses when we are not delighted in the good, simple, and daily gifts we receive from God. Grumpiness carries more influence than gratitude. That's why my, fa- my, favorite, my favorite worship service of the year is Thanksgiving. Can I say this? It's the only holiday that has not been destroyed by the culture. You sit with people you love and you share food and conversation. And it's not screwed up by advertising yet. We are grateful. And I watch, for, I don't know about you, I'm assuming this is true, but we have a wonderful time because we gather and are grateful together. The next slide. But there's a second piece to this. If grumpiness grows with the sin of ingratitude, anxiety flourishes with the sin of idolatry. It is fertilized by the belief that I'm in charge of my life and must do all I can to control my circumstances. And the teacher says, Hevel unmanageable, uncontrollable. Look at the second one, though. Anxiety flourishes with the sin of idolatry. Anxiety. So if you study how groups of people share life, I think the best guide I can know of is called Bowen Family Systems Theory. In Bowen Family Systems Theory, he argues, the theory is that what, what people share is levels of anxiety. So any change in any group, in a family, in a team, in a workplace, in a church, any change in the system creates a heightened level of anxiety. So this is my opinion for the last two years in America, and unless you're in Pell. What I have noticed is that there is a heightened and rising flood of anxiety. And when that happens, we give ourselves toward idols. So let me just use one. So if my, if my idol is comfort, 
and COVID had wrecked my ability to be comfortable, then I raise anxiety levels. And my anxiety I bring to relationships with you. So my anxiety is pushed on you. And all this anxiety is now flying all around. But what's the problem? I'm giving myself to the idol of comfort. It could be wealth, it could be, you name it. But this is the crazy thing. The Old Testament prophets say this, we become like the idols we worship. So the more I am anxious because of my love for this idol, my connection to this idol, or my addiction to this idol, watch what happens. The more the anxiety, the more the grumpiness. The more the grumpiness, the less the gratitude. The less the gratitude, the more I get cooked up with my addiction or my idol, and it's just this crazy, crazy circle. And we just, we just share this with each other all the time. Does this make sense? This is why I'll say it again for the 50th time. We need to embrace that we will die. Embrace it. Why? So we can live receiving the good and simple gifts God gives. Why? So we can flourish in love. Now, do you see what's happening right here? All of a sudden, all of us, this is beginning to happen right now. How can I tell? There's not lots of noise in the room. And all of a sudden, in the context of worship, in light of all our differences and uniquenesses, we are starting to center. Who are we centering on? Our God. And in these moments, together, something begins to fill, which enables us to flourish. So let me end with this. Number 11, the action steps that have been in place the whole series. Thank you for coming back in person to worship. I invite you to keep coming back. Why? We recenter, we refill, and then we flourish. Share a Sabbath meal. Read and reflect upon Ecclesiastes and bless another. Let's pray. Lord, we are amazed and so grateful that you still speak. Thank you for words, ancient yet true, which provide perspective and guidance, direction and hope. So we thank you, Lord, that we are a people who can choose to live with faith that we can affirm together the truths that you've given us. And from that foundation of love, built on love, joy, and truth, we can flourish. So for good and simple gifts, like this room, these people, and your words, we say thank you. We bless you. And pray in Jesus' name. Amen.